0: This episode was made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. For more information, please visit patreon.com author chris lester. I strive to make this podcast a safe and inclusive place for my listeners. If I've missed any content warnings, please let me know. Content warnings for this episode include Strong language Mature themes Violence descriptions of combat injuries, excessive alcohol use, and negative cultural values, including ace-phobia, fetishization of sexual minorities, and ableism. The views of the characters do not reflect the views of the author. You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 353. Hey there, folks. Welcome to The Raven and the Writing Desk. I'm your host, Chris Lester. You can learn more about me and my work at chrislester.org and metamorecity.com. Each week, I bring you a piece of my fresh new fiction. I'll also keep you up to date on my life and my writing. So let's kick things off with this week's story. Today I'm bringing you Chapter 4 of Honor Reclaimed by L.C. Williams. If you're new to the show, go back to Episode 350 to hear this story from the beginning. The following recap will contain spoilers. Noble scion and Townsend is rallying support for the Veterans Adjustment Act, a bill that would create a sweeping set of government programs to help the millions of veterans returning from overseas. The bill is passed the Imperial Senate, but it still needs to be approved by the Council of Peers, which represents the noble families of Metamore. The bill's fate depends on a tenuous alliance of pragmatic progressives, like the Townsends, and retired military officers from the conservative wing, The deciding votes will likely be among the centrists, like Honor's father, Lord Bellevue. Lord Bellevue's scion, Lord Graham, has put them in touch with a support group for disabled veterans, which meets regularly here in Metamore City. Alex has been invited to come speak to them about the Adjustment Act, to hear their concerns and make sure that their needs will be properly represented. Natasha has agreed to go with Alex. Not only will it be a good chance to continue to develop their friendship, but Natasha has been looking forward to spending some time with her fellow soldiers something she hasn't had much opportunity to do, since the Rutgers affair forced her out of the service. Natasha is also badly in need of a distraction, thanks to an ugly fight with Honor. Honor found out that their secret affair wasn't all that secret. Not only does Lord Bellevue know about their relationship, one of the reasons he hired Natasha was that he hoped she would help Honor to understand her sexual needs and desires, so she wouldn't end up in a doomed marriage like her mother. Following Lord Bellevue's instructions, Natasha concealed this fact from Honor. Honor, furious and humiliated, accused Natasha of being a hired whore, who was only sleeping with Honor because she'd been paid to do it. This wasn't fair. Natasha's feelings for Honor are real. But Honor was in no mood for fairness. Before leaving for her mission to the Drowling Chateau, Honor icily warned Natasha that she'd better start looking for another job.
1: Honor Reclaimed The House of Bellevue, Book 3 By L.C. Williams Narrated by Vivian Ferrari Chapter 4 The Painted Mask Natasha rode with Alex to the Clearwater District, a neighborhood on the lower east side of the city. Their driver, a House Townsend man, looked around dubiously at the densely packed tenements, the nearby factory belching black smoke into the smoggy air, the cobblestones thick with soot and reeking of sewage. "'Are you sure this is the right place, my noble?' he asked." Alex swallowed visibly, their eyes wide and bright with nerves. Then they straightened their back, squared their shoulders, and nodded sharply. Quite sure, Reggie. Lord Graham gave very clear directions. The tavern is... in there, I believe. They pointed to a narrow alley between two tenement buildings. The path was lit, but most of the lanterns were enclosed in red glass, which gave the place a forbidding air. The axe and mug, or so I am told. I know this place, Natasha said. We came here sometimes, when I was guard for Hassan Manor. This seemed to encourage Alex a little. Oh, splendid. Uh, Perhaps you should take the lead, then. They moistened their lips uneasily. Is it a good place? Natasha grinned fiercely and put her arm around Alex's shoulder. It is shithole, she said honestly. But food is cheap, and bartender does not water the drinks. Come. They headed into the alley. After a few heartbeats, the driver called after them. I'll um, just nip on back here in a few hours. All right, noble. Then he nickered to the horses and drove away, not waiting for a reply. Alex craned their neck around and stared after the carriage, their body going tense under Natasha's arm. Reggie! No, it's good idea, Natasha assured them. Waiting carriage is asking for trouble. Come. Gently she turned them around and continued down the alley. Reluctantly, Alex followed. The commotion had drawn attention from the surrounding tenements. Windows slid open on the second and third stories above the red-tinted lanterns, and some familiar faces poked out, grinning down at them. "'Oy, Natasha!' one woman called. "'Ain't seen you around in a while, ducky. We started to think you didn't love us no more.' "'Who's a friend?' another cooed. "'That's a nice piece of Andy ass if I don't miss my guess. "'Hey, love, do you like it both ways?' "'cause we can serve all types in here.' "'Always like a good Andy,' a third one said. "'There's always game, and they never finish early.' It was hard to tell under the red lights, but Natasha imagined that Alex's face was probably turning crimson. "'You know these women?' they hissed. Natasha waggled her hand in a so-so gesture. "'I hire them sometimes.' is cheaper than real sensualist parlor. Money lasts longer on guard's salary this way. Alex's eyes widened. They are unlicensed. gods and little fishes, Natasha. How did you not get murdered for your coin purse? Because then I am not repeat customer, she said reasonably. You nobles think these people are always looking to kill someone? Plead. She shook her head then looked up and shouted back to the women. Sorry, girls, no play tonight. We have important meeting at bar. This was met with a chorus of groans and jeers. You're a feckin' tease, Natasha, the first woman shouted after them. Them cripples won't do for you like we can, another called. Come back when you're disappointed and we'll take care of you, lovey. Natasha waved a hand in acknowledgement of this and quickly ushered Alex on. Another ten yards down the alley stood a ramshackle building of wood and corrugated sheet metal. A wooden sign hung over the entrance, showing a faded painting of a two-bladed battle-axe buried in a table next to a wooden flagon. There was no text on the sign, and Natasha suspected it had been there since before the spelling of Imperial Common had been standardized. They opened the heavy wooden door and slipped inside. "'Good gods, that was unsettling!' Alex said, shaking their head as if to clear it. To think that people just... just go up to one of those buildings and pay people to... They shuddered and seemed unwilling to even complete the thought. I have done this, Natasha said, feeling mildly irritated and defensive. Is not so different from visiting sensualist, which many nobles do. Alex seemed to abruptly realize how their words had sounded. Oh, God, Natasha, no, I'm not... I did not mean to imply judgment. I just... Well, you remember my analogy about the soup lover at the banquet? Da, Natasha said. You do not like people to take away soup and make you eat other food. Precisely, Alex said. And this was, um... Rather like walking through the market and having food thrown at me, Natasha barked a laugh. <laughs> I am betting sensualists have customers who would pay for that too. The accent mug was much as Natasha remembered it. The bar ran along the wall just to the right of the entrance, lined with stools that were a little too close together for comfort. Narrow booths filled the back wall of the room, except for a doorway near the bar that led to a small back room with a pool table. A wooden stage stood at the far left end of the room, opposite the bar. The remaining floor space was filled with round tables, each with four chairs around it. Gas lamps were mounted at evenly spaced intervals along the walls, burning too low to see much detail on anything. There was no electricity. The room was occupied by twenty-odd other patrons at present. Most of them wore basic army fatigues, the cloth wrinkled and beginning to fray at the edges. The men themselves were in worse shape than the uniforms, their faces dirty, their hair must, their beards unkempt. They watched the well-groomed Alex and Natasha with hollow, suspicious eyes, but no one spoke. Natasha nudged Alex. Say something, she muttered. With obvious effort, Alex shook off their discomfort and embarrassment. They turned to the crowd, spread their hands, and seemed to become a different person, warm, smiling, commanding attention. "'Good evening, my friends. Thank you all for coming. I am Second Lieutenant Alexin Townsend, and this is my comrade, Miss Natasha Volkova, formerly of the 382nd. We thank you for your invitation, and we are looking forward to making your acquaintance.' One of the men in the middle of the bar levered himself off of his stool onto one foot. Natasha could now see that his other leg was missing from just above the knee, the cuff of his trouser leg tied off. He picked up a crutch and slipped it under his arm, then hobbled over to meet them. He was tall, with broad shoulders, but had clearly lost much of the muscle tone he had once had. His belly had gone soft, and the tunic of his uniform strained to contain it. He bowed his head to Alex in greeting. Noble Alex, he said, his voice deep and rough around the edges. Thank you for coming. Staff Sergeant Percival Barnes, at your service. Alex returned the gesture, matching the depth of the man's bow precisely. A pleasure, Mr. Barnes. Lord Graham told me to look for you. Are you the leader of this group? One of anyway, Barnes said. We've got a few patrons, like Lord Graham, who bankroll the project. They prefer to stay silent partners for the most part, but you may see one or two of them later tonight. Why don't you grab yourselves a beer and I'll introduce you to the boys. Alex pulled out their coin purse and drew out a twenty-mark gold piece, which they passed to Natasha. Buy a round for the whole house, won't you? Natasha's eyebrows lifted as she took the coin. Here, this will buy five rounds. Two rounds and some food, then, Alex said dryly. I want people to actually remember this meeting. Natasha nodded sharply and went to talk to the bartender. Soon she returned to Alex with a mug of ale in each hand, and Barnes began the business of introducing them to the other veterans. Alex took their time with the process claiming one of the booths in the back so they could have private conversations with anyone who wanted to talk. Most of these men hadn't rubbed shoulders with a member of the nobility since the war, when class differences were compressed and subsumed into the military hierarchy. They were glad for the chance to vent about their frustrations to a person who might have the power to do something about them, and who was more than willing to offer a sympathetic ear. Natasha sat beside Alex for most of the evening, and to her surprise she found herself getting caught up in the men's stories. All of the veterans had injuries that had made it difficult to return to the lives and professions they had known before the war. Maimed or amputated limbs were the most common injuries, courtesy of landmines, grenades, and lucky bullet wounds that had missed the vital organs. That made sense, from a survivorship standpoint. Standard healing magic could close a wound, even stop an infection— but it could not regrow a missing limb, and heavy nerve damage was also difficult to reverse. Some of the men had closed head injuries that had left them with a constellation of seemingly unrelated conditions, from seizures to nausea to difficulty speaking. Three men had lost an eye, and one had gone completely blind when a shell containing mustard gas had ruptured right in front of him. This last man walked with the aid of a long, slender cane, and Natasha was astonished at how well he seemed to be aware of his surroundings. "'I'm only blind, Miss Volkova,' he said when she pointed this out. "'The good lord Eli gave me four other senses, and they still work just fine.'" In truth, this echoed a theme that she noticed throughout the night, a frustration that what they could do was not being acknowledged or appreciated by the world at large. Services for the maimed and crippled were mostly limited to charity— and these were brave and stubborn men who wanted more than food, a cot, or a blanket. We won a war, for God's sake, Barnes said, after they'd all had a couple more beers and polished off two summer sausages with a loaf of country bread. Let us do good work, honest work. Most of these men could do that, with only a few little accommodations. But no one wants to hire a cripple, he snorted. Makes me wish sometimes I'd been a pirate, born a couple centuries earlier. Back then, they'd stick a peg on your leg and send you back into the rigging. Alex listened carefully to all of this, jotting notes in a small book they'd been carrying in their breast pocket. I think there's a great deal that can be done, they told Barnes. Much of what you're asking for seems entirely reasonable. But this is more than a job for the imperial government- We will have to convince private citizens to think differently as well. Barnes nodded soberly. It ain't the sort of thing is gonna be done overnight, he agreed. People got ideas about cripples that are buried deep. Mostly they're afraid of us, of what we represent. And we ain't immune to it ourselves. He gestured over his shoulder at a booth in the far corner of the room, a spot where the gas lamps had been extinguished and a pool of darkness lay over the table. A man sat at the table, his body weirdly bent and twisted, as if he were a tin soldier that had been left too close to a hot stove. An empty wheelchair sat in front of the booth, and he was flanked on both sides by two tall, burly attendants, who watched the room with impassive faces. At first, Natasha thought the broken man's face was similarly blank, but then she realized that she couldn't see his face. What she had taken for a face was, in fact, an extremely intricate mask. It appeared to be made of metal, copper, perhaps, or a tin alloy, but the outer surface was enameled and painted to resemble the pale skin of a Kitchlender, like Natasha or Honor. The eyes were painted as well, but had small holes where the pupils should be. Most strikingly, The mask had hair, eyebrows, mustache, and beard, all carefully glued in place and shockingly lifelike. Natasha wondered if it was real human hair. I'm the leader of this little band of misfits, Barnes said, and even I'm frightened by Dollface over there. With difficulty, Natasha tore her eyes away from the man. What happened to him? she asked. Barnes shrugged. Won't say. Howard's been coming to our meetings for almost a year now, and I haven't been able to get more from him than his first name. Well, that and his money. He's nobility of some kind, I'm sure of it. He's one of those silent partners I told you about. He comes, he listens, sometimes he talks about what he's having a hard time with, but nothing about how he got that way. Some of the boys think he caught a grenade in the face. Or maybe a fireball. Natasha winced. She had seen the survivors of injuries like that when they had been carted away from the trenches. The screams they made were like nothing she'd heard anywhere else. There were some sounds a human just couldn't make, if the parts of the face and throat were all in the right places. Poor bastard, Alex murmured, with what sounded like actual pity, something they'd done a good job of hiding when speaking to the other veterans. I don't suppose there's much he could do, even with accommodations. Might be, Barnes allowed. But that's his to say, not mine, not yours. There's nothing wrong with his mind, as far as I can tell. You raise a fair point, Alex admitted. Do you think he would speak to me? I'm sure his perspective would be valuable. Barnes got to his feet. I'll let him know, but don't be surprised if he doesn't. He's wary of strangers, as you might imagine. Of course, Alex said, and bowed their head in concession. When Barnes had gone, Natasha slid out of the booth as well. Time for a game of pool, I think. Will you join me? Alex glanced back over their shoulder at the corner table, where Barnes was speaking quietly with the man in the painted mask. "'In a little while, perhaps. "'If our friend over there decides to take me up on my offer, "'I don't want to make him come looking for me. "'And I've had a few thoughts I'd like to run by some of the others.' "'Natasha nodded her acceptance of this "'and went to the bar for another beer. "'She found three men who were interested in a game.' and soon they were gathered around the pool table, laughing and swapping war stories in between bouts of good-natured taunting. She felt relaxed, in a way she hadn't in a long time. She may have only just met these men this evening, but she knew them, and they knew her. The relationship dynamics at play here were familiar ones. She'd had these same conversations, or very similar ones, in a dozen seedy bars across three continents, She'd been spending so much time over the last year, both in House Bellevue and in House Hassan before it, trying to fit into molds that other people had fashioned for her, and never quite succeeding. But this mold, the mold of the soldier? That one fit her like a comfortable old pair of boots. She wished she had never left it. But you did not have choice, a bitter voice inside reminded her. After what she'd done to Major Rutgers, Remaining a soldier wasn't an option anymore. And if she'd done nothing, if she'd turned a blind eye to the way he preyed on the villagers, as others in her unit had done, then she might have saved her career, but she would have lost something much more important than the bargain. At least that was what she kept telling herself. Sometimes it rang rather hollow. Like now. You stopped Rutgers because it was right thing to do and you lost everything. Today you told truth to honor, because it was right thing to do. And now you are losing everything again. A stab of pain ran through her at that thought. It was the first time she'd thought of honor in almost two hours. Snatching up her beer, she finished it in one long pull, then went back to the bar. This time, she came back with a bottle of whiskey. Natasha? Natasha, wake up. Someone was prodding Natasha's shoulder. There was something hard pressing into her face. No, wait, that was her face pressing into the table. She sat up and looked around blearily. The axe and mug was nearly empty. The bottle of whiskey, lying beside her on the table, was also empty. Her head throbbed. Playhead she muttered. Is meeting over? You could say that. A dry, weary-sounding voice. Alex. They tugged on Natasha's arm. Come on, you're too big for me to carry. I told you not to drink so much. Natasha had no memory of that. Vague snippets of the night came back to her. After the pool game, there had been darts, and arm-wrestling, and she was at least halfway certain there had been singing. But chiding lectures from pretty, bossy androgynes did not figure in her recollections. Her legs held her weight, though her balance was shaky. Alex offered her an arm, and they headed for the front door. A big man stood beside it, his arms crossed. Natasha could not remember seeing him before. Could you open the door for us, please? Alex asked the man. Instead of doing so, he stepped more fully in front of the door, blocking their path. The boss wants to have a word with you, he said, and nodded toward the back corner of the room. Alex and Natasha both looked in that direction, and saw the man in the mask seated in his wheelchair, his other attendant behind him. The man lifted one hand. Natasha noticed his shoulder on that side sat a little higher than the other, and made a beckoning gesture. Alex glanced aside at Natasha, as if judging her ability to walk that far, then forced a smile at the attendant. Well, I suppose we can spare a moment or two. They turned and walked, slowly and carefully, back to the mysterious Howard. Natasha, perforce, went with them. They stopped about four feet in front of the man, and Alex bowed their head to him. Natasha tried to do likewise, but it made the room start to spin around her, so she stopped. "'I am glad you decided to speak with me, sir,' Alex said. "'But I am afraid my companion is fairly incapacitated. I wonder if I might invite you to visit me at Townsend Tower at a later date.' The man in the mask took a slow, deep breath, which rattled on the intake. He spoke slowly and carefully, as if he had trouble forcing his mouth to make the words. I have one question for you, Noble. It concerns your companion. Natasha frowned. Something about the man's voice tickled the back of her mind, some scrap of memory that she could not pin down. Alex glanced at Natasha again, looking as baffled as she felt. I will answer if I can, sir. What is your question? The man reached up, slowly, his hand shaking, and touched the front of his mask. The attendant behind him, following some unspoken order, reached down and lifted the piece of metal from his face, or what was left of it. Natasha took in the hollow and misshapen eye socket, the ruined stub of a nose, the skull, permanently deformed where a crowbar had shattered the orbital bone and the cheekbone below it. She saw the jaw, now partly replaced by a metal prosthetic, and a mouth with only a few broken teeth remaining. She saw each injury, and even through the haze of her drunkenness, she recognized them, knew each one intimately. Even you not, she whispered horrified. Major Howard Rutgers focused on Natasha with his one remaining eye, his ruined face twisted even further in abject hatred. He stabbed one trembling finger at his face and spoke, each word dripping venom. What do you think should be done, noble Alex, with The soldier, who did this to her superior officer? Natasha and Alex turned to look at each other in the same instant. The androgyne's eyes widened in shock and horror. Natasha supposed they must have read the truth of the accusation on her face. Then some sort of hood came down over Natasha's head, and a blow to the back of her skull returned her to one consciousness.
0: And that's the end of Chapter 4. It doesn't look good for Alex and Natasha, does it? Come back next time when we'll catch up with Honor and Delphinia as they arrive at Chateau Drawling. Chapters of The House of Bellevue will be released at a rate of one chapter per week for 51 weeks. If you'd like to listen to it faster, all three books are available now on Amazon and Audible. To learn more about these characters and their world, please visit www.authorlcwilliams.com. Hey there folks, Chris here. I'm still working on rebuilding my episode buffer, and this was a long chapter, so I'm going to skip the writing update for this week. Come back next time and I'll let you know how things have been going. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show, send your feedback in text or audio to metamorcityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641-715-3900. Then enter extension 255082, followed by the pound sign. My Facebook is facebook.com slash author Chris Lester. The fan group is Fans of Metamore City on Facebook. And our Discord server is Metamore City. I'm there pretty often, so come say hi. If you like this show, please consider leaving a review at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Podchaser.com. It really helps people find the show. That's all for this week. I'll be back next time with more fresh new fiction. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2022 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. The show is released under a Creative Commons, attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license, So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.